The views expressed on this show by guests and the host on issues outside of the 9-11 controlled demolition evidence are the opinions of those individuals alone and do not necessarily reflect those of our contestant engineers for 9-11 Truth. Welcome to 9-11 Freefall. I'm the host, Andy Steele. Today we're joined by Marshall Casey Pfeiffer. He is a board member for AE 9-11 Truth. He has a Bachelor of Civil Engineering degree from the University of Notre Dame. He has been working as a structural engineer in the greater San Diego area for the past 21 years, and we're happy to have him here on the show. Sir, welcome to 9-11 Freefall. Uh, thanks, Andy. Uh, happy to be here. Uh, looking forward to talking about today's topic. Absolutely. Now, before we begin the interview, I just want to let our audience know that we are aware that there was a condo that went down in Florida last week. Uh, at the time of this recording, a lot still isn't known about the situation there, and it may take a long time for more information to become available. Uh, some people have asked AE911 Truth's opinion on it, but it's impossible to have any kind of informed opinion at this point, and to speculate would be unprofessional and that's not what we do here. So we're just going to say that our hearts go out to the people who died, and let's hope they find more survivors in the debris. We're going to talk today about a presentation that Casey did. Casey, tell us more about that. Yeah, there is a Mississippi professional society of engineers, and they teamed up with also the group in Alabama, and they have a yearly conference, and this year's conference was uh, down at the Gulf Shores in uh, Alabama, uh, right across, yeah, in Alabama, right across the border from Pensacola, Florida. Um, and it was a really nice venue. The building where the conference uh, was at was really, really nice place. Um, and uh, we had a we had a good group, uh, over 50 people. It was a packed house, as they might say. Um, and uh, everyone was enthusiastic about learning more about what ended up being the Building 7 report. So I gave them a an opportunity to hear a discussion about the Twin Towers or a discussion on Building 7. Uh, only about 30% of the participants in the audience uh, knew, even knew about Building 7. So there was a high level of an interest for the entire audience. I bet you there is. It's interesting how many people, even in the engineering world, don't know about this building, don't even know that it exists. I'm just putting aside that they don't know much of the circumstances behind why it went down or why they say it went down. To not even know that this third tower went down at 5.20 in the afternoon on that day. I've experienced that talking to engineers who uh, look a little bit surprised when I show them the video of Building 7 uh, that we all are all, at least this audience, is familiar with. What were some of the reactions that you saw in the audience? And did you have any conversations afterwards about the material that was presented? Well, the, the initial reactions uh, were based in 
a little bit of confusion. Uh, most people, whenever they hear a topic of this magnitude, they first want to get into who and why. And uh, I don't really entertain the who and why questions um, because our goal is to show the how it happened, uh, especially with Building 7, where we have a significant amount of information due to the research by Leroy Holsey, that we can explain how it could have occurred uh, based off of finite element analysis. The the folks, the reactions afterwards were, I only got a chance to talk to maybe six or seven of the 50, but the overall response was good. Uh, a, a couple of guys stayed on afterwards and wanted to talk a little bit more about uh, the other elements surrounding the event. Um, and, you know, it's it's fine to, from, from my point of view, to talk a little bit about other elements surrounding the event, but during the discussion itself, um, I, I like to just stick with the facts. Well, that's why it's so important that we do stick to what we focus on. There's a lot of people say, why don't you talk about this element? Why don't you talk about that element? Of course, we've all got our own personal opinions. We're all human beings, and once you wake up to the controlled demolitions, you start looking at other things, but... Here at AE911 Truth, this is based around building professionals, people who know what they're talking about when it comes to the element of 9-11 that involves the World Trade Center towers coming down. They know what a progressive collapse looks like, and they know what a controlled demolition looks like. So that is what we stick to. And you can't get people to look into those other elements, uh, at least official bodies, when I say people, you can't get them to look into those other elements until you get them to acknowledge what actually happened at the World Trade Center on that day. And that right there is a difficult enough struggle considering the media brick wall that's been put up around this topic. I'm always curious about the kinds of questions, especially from engineers, when this information is presented. Uh, were there questions and answers? What kind of questions did you get? We, we have a presentation that uh, identifies the assumptions and conclusions that were provided by NIST, and we break down those in comparison to our own independent analysis um, prior to and including the Leroy Holsey report. And what comes of it is that they get to see the missing elements that were not included in the original analysis by NIST. And they struggle with why somebody would do that. Of course, all engineers are familiar with uh, trying to get to the conclusion. And so you make assumptions uh, to try to get there uh, to, to solve the problem. And what we've done is we've identified the problems with their assumptions and the missing elements and the reason why they're needed for the analysis. Uh, some of the elements include uh, stiffener plates, uh, the capacity of shear studs, the, um, the strength profile of adjacent beams, and the overall strength profile of the building. And so whenever you bring those assumptions, get rid of the lack of those elements and properly model it, you find that the NIST report fails in its duty to provide an accurate conclusion on what happened to the building. So what occurs directly after that from 
the audience members is uh, a question of why there was concerns specifically about some of the elements like the the power station that was below um, or questions about the sprinkler system. Most of the engineers didn't have a whole lot of direct engineering questions because our presentation does a pretty good job of demonstrating the engineering elements. There's another interesting portion of it is that of the 50, some people came in late, but of the 50, there was only one who was a practicing engineer who does structural engineering for buildings. So that becomes a little bit of a barrier because there is engineering knowledge, but then there's also the design of buildings is not well known by the larger audience that we're talking to. They're engineers, but the design of buildings is a specific trade within the scope of civil engineering. And this was a group of civil engineers uh, that includes also mechanical engineers and ground water engineers and all the various different engineers within the civil engineering discipline. Having an engineering background gets your mind into the state where you think about these things. So it's one of the reasons we learned logic puzzles when we were in high school. It teaches you how to think. When you go into engineering, it teaches you how to think about how things are put together and taken apart. So obviously, an engineer's word is very important. However, I will address this because I've heard this meme put out there that you got to be an engineer in order to look at Building 7 falling and, and determine whether or not it was likely a controlled demolition or call for a new investigation. Now, I watch Building 7 fall. I know fire is not going to do that. That steel-framed high-rise, I'm not an engineer, but i got two eyes, i got a brain, and some common sense in there. Uh, what's your opinion on that? I mean, an average person, looking at this evidence, it seems pretty common sense to me. Do you have to be an engineer to know that there's something funny about the way that building came down? Well, even though I'm talking to engineers in these, uh, these organized settings, which is nice, I still develop my delivery based off of the idea that they may or may not know anything about the topic itself, meaning the design of structural engineering. So I, I try to zoom in and focus in on how to understand why things are needed to be considered, and that really helps them. As it relates to kind of a layman's point of view, typically the, the best explanation that I've found that really makes it clear to people is what I call the semi and the, um, the smart car or the, you know, the tiny little bug car on the road. If you drive a tiny car and you go head on with a semi, the semi is going to be there and the tiny little bug is not going to really be there anymore. So what that means is that the semi is standing there as a point of high level stiffness and strength. And for a building to collapse um, from damage above, it has to experience a force significantly greater than its current standing strength. So, I mean, that topic is more relevant for the Twin Towers, where you have a small portion of the building uh, allegedly collapsing on and pancaking down the building. That's the, that's the general narrative of, of the Twin Towers. Building 7 is a little bit different, but for the purposes of understanding 
the strength of these buildings, that kind of helps people. And then the next element that really affects people's mindset is the size of the columns that are involved in these buildings. Even by the standard of the NIST report, they identified that a column on the interior of this building where they suggest initiation of the building collapse occurred, they come to the conclusion that the column can stand on its own for eight stories uh, before it collapses uh, under the weight of the building. That's pretty incredible. To put that into perspective, it's designed, it's sitting there designed and it's supporting one floor. It's supporting all the load, but it's braced across one floor. When you remove all the other braces, it becomes tall. A way for people to think about it is if you have a straw. So you have a straw, and if you try to push on each end of the straw, you will um, be able to buckle or bend the straw just by pressing the ends. If you were to cut that straw down to one inch and try to crush it, you won't be able to do it unless you're standing on it. Like your fingers will hurt just trying to crush the straw because it's short and it doesn't easily buckle. So it has a, a good ratio of height to its size. So the amazing part about these buildings is they were exceptionally designed to support not only its own building weight, but also the wind that occurs in a place like New York City. In New York City, the wind is a significant part of the design and it's there on a regular basis. Um, and to prevent people from being uncomfortable, you have to over-design these building columns and lateral systems so it doesn't become a swaying stick in the air that makes everybody uncomfortable. So these buildings are highly over-designed to deal with the discomfort of uh, flexibility in buildings of this size. It's, and even in the NIST report, they identified that the column could stand on its own uh, until you remove eight floors of lateral support, meaning turning it from a squat straw to a really tall straw, right? It's, it's that kind of comparison that's easier for kind of a layperson to see. And then, of course, if you just look at it, it doesn't make sense that a building could travel straight down. Like when you look at the actual collapse of that building, the top nothing happens to the flop top floors. It just starts traveling straight down at the admitted free fall for the first two and a half seconds. And this is admitted because it's undeniable. This is admitted by NIST. It went into free fall and going into full free fall while also going through resistance of these significant columns is not physically possible. Whenever I look at the official story from NIST, uh, one of the most ludicrous things that I can think of is the concept that you have the inside of the building crumble and the outside standing as one unit while all this is going on on the inside, supposedly, uh, showing no visible signs on the outside, no deformations, window breakage, and then all of a sudden the outside falls uh, as well, some seconds later. That's NIST's explanation for why the building 
seems to fall as one unit. Now, we know that it looks like it's falling as one unit because it is. It's controlled demolition, but this is how they try to defend their hypothesis. Uh, and, of course, that's ludicrous. You can't have the inside of a building fall without showing some signs on the outside. It's not paper mache here. This is a, a structural steel skyscraper. Uh, what's your comments on that, Casey? If you've never spent any time designing these buildings, um, and they look fairly void of complex structural systems because the engineering and architectural world has developed these systems so that you can have big open windows and big open spaces inside buildings. And the fact that these are designed into it is not a source of weakness within the building. It is a source of engineering innovation, which is to utilize the strength of steel elements or concrete if you have a concrete building. But using the strength of steel in this particular building, and this building has majority a moment frame steel moment frame construction, and it's really, really strong. If you've ever messed around with a steel, let's just say an angle, some kind of steel angle or some kind of uh, bolt, I mean, just your own uh, perception and messing around with that material is tremendous. Then if you take the actual steel that's being used, um, where you have three-inch thick steel plates in the creating an eye shape, and that has plates on the sides of it, so it's more like an eye enclosed in two, two plates, and all of those elements of steel are two inches to three inches thick, and it is a 1,000 pounds per linear foot. I mean, that those kind of numbers are hard for somebody who doesn't work within the design industry to know what that means. Building 7 was 47 stories. That's the, basically the tallest building in a city like San Diego. So that is nothing exceeds that 47 story, stories in, in, uh, in a city the size of San Diego. It's a tremendously huge volume of steel, and strength is uh, just it's hard to describe to people. You can give them numbers, but until they are standing next to one of these columns, um, or in the design of them, it's hard to comprehend. Right. That structural steel is sturdy, and of course, building owners don't like to be sued. So, of course, they're going to make sure that the buildings are strong and can withstand a number of different things. It's actually fascinating when you go to New York City and look up at all of them. I mean, all of those, just the architecture of the buildings and then the, you know, the having to figure out how to actually design them and make them stand there. It's so beautiful, and it all originated from people's minds these structures, there's a lot of thought that goes into these things, and they don't just come down that easily from minor fires. Now, there's a lot of engineers that work with Project Due Diligence, trying to get these presentations going. For anybody that's maybe inspired by you listening right now, said, hey, I can do that kind of thing, I can get involved. What was the work that you did to make this happen, and how can other people get involved in replicating what you were able to do? Well, the goal, as we call it, project due diligence, the goal is to get in front of practicing engineers in the field, pretty much from the ground up, uh, develop a groundswell of interest in having the truth be told on 
the actual collapse of the buildings, such that it, because from the top down, you experience a lot of resistance within these professional engineering societies or associations or the like. So there's the American Society of Civil Engineering, and that's one of the mothership groups, if you will, within the civil engineering world where we are trying to go to those local chapters and talk directly to them at either their annual meetings or their monthly meetings or whenever they have their meetings. This was a particular meeting where it included uh, professional engineers in Mississippi and Alabama, and they get together once a year, and they like to talk about various parts of engineering. It just helps engineers to understand it. Uh, for other people to get involved, the best way to think about it is what do you do for a living? And if what you do for a living has been tied in to any of the events of 9-11, then you can get involved with your local professional organizations or other organizations and try to have discussions with them about the elements that you can speak to as a professional. So there's more going on than just structural engineering and architecture within the day of 9-11. Clearly, if as it looks, everything was done through controlled demolitions of sorts, there's controlled demolition societies, there's uh, fire societies, there's plane societies. And you continue to go down the rabbit hole, you can go get into the finances of 9-11. There's so many elements within what happened on that day that if you had these meetings with your local professional organizations, you can develop the groundswell and attention to effectively tell the truth of the day as opposed to the unfortunate part is the revisionist history that people are learning as they're growing up right now. That's right, and it's a great time in history now to speak the truth and step up. You are the media, you are the engineers if you are an engineer, you are the people that have a voice if you choose to use it. I mean, I had to learn that early when I started off my entire 9-11 truth career, if you'll call it that. I mean, I wasn't a journalist, but I showed up, I asked questions, I wrote, that made me a journalist, and that got me in there. So you just got to have the confidence and step up. And if you are an engineer and you want to get involved, let's say you can't be involved all the time. Let's say it's just maybe every once in a while you got a busy life, but you want to do something to help. You can volunteer with AE 911 Truth. Fill out the volunteer form. If you have degrees or they believe there's a question on there that asks you that, uh, if you want to be involved with Project Due Diligence, you don't have to state it in the application, but it's helpful for me to see that. I want to be involved with Project Due Diligence. Put that in there. We'll get you in touch with Roland. And he'll take you from that point and instruct you of the information and what to do. But the first step, as I always say on the webinars, is to decide that you're going to do something and put in that time. Just like so many people here at AE 9-11 Truth have. Now, Casey, in our last few minutes here, we got the 20th anniversary coming up. 20 years from 9-11, AE 9-11 Truth has existed for over a decade now. Why is what AE 9-11 Truth doing right now, with 9-11, so important even 20 years after the event took place, in your opinion? Well, it's important because just from the presentation I just gave, uh, two-thirds of the people in the room, and these were all engineers, did not even know there was a Building 7. They're so far removed from the event and thinking about the event that they I don't even think any of them knew about Building 
three, four, five, and six, much less building seven. And building seven is an obvious one to identify, and we've done a lot of work on that building in terms of understanding it. And at this point, the volume of people that have a developed knowledge on the events of that day is pretty small, even within the engineering world. So the, the work of telling the truth of history likely is never done. No, it isn't. And there's different challenges that befall every generation. This is our generations, and this is a big one, too, in American history, considering the impact that 9-11 has. So are you going to answer that call out there? Or are you going to rise up and speak out? It's up to you, but I think you should consider it. Casey, thank you so much for coming on 9-11 Freefall today and for all of your excellent work. Happy to help and look forward to talking to anybody and everybody that wants to get involved. This program is on every Thursday night on No Lies Radio at 10 o'clock Eastern, 7 o'clock Pacific, and every other Sunday night on BBS Radio at 8 o'clock Eastern, 5 o'clock Pacific. You can also keep track of the archives by going to 911freefall.com. Zadie Steele, say have a great week. Good luck.